podcast from Crew and Mike is, I think it's really cool and um, that is what I wanted to say. Two and a mic. This is now the third episode with Kara. She's amazing to work with and to listen to. And on top of that, she did the entire editing for this episode. So what more could I possibly ask for? As Kara settles into our chat, and as per usual bounces banter off Mikey, she recalls talks with other neurodiverse athletes and thoughts rush into her mind. Buried memories of stressful events keep flooding back the further Kara delves into the tale of neurodiversity, Kara doesn't want her project to be about her, but as she says, she has to reflect on her own past to be able to build the foundations of awareness creation. Kara doesn't sound vulnerable, and the work she does is the absolute opposite of how someone would associate a neurodiverse person to be, in part that may be because of our own unconscious biases, and also because before us we see an all-conquering heroine blazing a trail through ignorance, intolerance and discrimination. A trail which can sometimes seem lonely, even though Kara is not alone. Adversity is not always a constant. For this reason, waves of difficulty can strike at any time, and these waves can be infinitely more debilitating if someone is prone to a certain way of thinking. Kara explains how sometimes she was so confident or brazen, but then something would occur, and from inside the blocks of confidence would crumble. Gravel racing is Mikey's thing, But when he's volunteered by Kara, he puts in a great half-marathon performance between two significant races. Great job, Mikey. I have in the chapter notes put in a link to an article about Mikey's efforts, and I'm sure you'll find that entertaining. You will hear me laughing and giggling throughout this episode. I do apologise, but among the serious elements of our chat is this underlying truth that Kara and Mikey love life. A substantial reason for that is how they have addressed their troubles. They are now using their experiences to assist others in dealing with their troubles. Troubles have become challenges. And their endless banter, nudging and digging, is as entertaining as it is natural. This is teamwork. Teamwork is by nature supportive. And Kara and Mikey are both very funny, and I really enjoy listening to them speak. I thank them both for their time. And I hope you enjoy the episode. Yeah, I'm very happy to say that I've got uh, Kara and Mikey back with me. Kara for the third time, theoretically, and Mikey for the second time. Um, how are you both? Good. Yeah, tired. I just mentioned that to you. But um, other than that, I'd say in, objectively in a good place, subjectively tired <laughs> and constantly <laughs> battling myself. <laughs> What about you, Mikey? Yeah, good. Moved on a lot since we last spoke. I can't even remember when yeah. it was. Um, but yes, flown by and neurodiverse sports moved on. Both kind of moved on a lot since. Mm. So yeah, it's good. Yeah. Um, 
we'll talk about neurodiverse sport and your your blog in general as well a bit later but in between our previous talk and now you've become something of uh yeah almost like a tv personality haven't you so you've been on the bbc quite often you've been on as a different bbc channels you've been on sky um and i see you you are ever present on linkedin as in it's impossible for me to click on linkedin Sorry. and not see you there um so i mean that's a great platform you've created over the last few months isn't it yeah i mean I think it's probably that my story is quite shocking and I probably didn't realise how shocking just because when you're in it uh, well, part of it is kind of being gaslit and, you know, your confidence is just absolutely squashed. Um, and so I guess that's why it kind of took off because people were a bit aghast and um, like, but then that's that's, you know, when I said, oh, it's going well but I'm tired and I'm always battling myself. It's because I'm telling like a really vulnerable story and it needs to be told because there's so many people that have stories like this, but unfortunately maybe they don't have the support. They don't quite have the confidence. They don't have the skills to, to like turn it around and, and be able to tell their story. But somebody's got to do it and unfortunately <laughs> unfortunately it looks like it's me um and yeah it doesn't mean that I don't really find it quite hard to constantly talk about you know 10 years at least of my life that were incredibly difficult um and it does get actually does get easier but then as it, it gets easier and then it's almost like my brain is like okay you're finding this a bit easier well I'll just reveal another memory that you've forgotten or suppressed and so like I'm just constantly dealing with like new uh, stressful memories and emotions and but you know it means I'm processing them I'm growing I'm learning other people are learning and you know the less the more I process the less weight is on my shoulders subconsciously so it's a good thing mm -hmm. um but yeah like I think that's why that's why it was it was a purposeful move to sort of put my story out there and, and promote it that was the advice I was given was because I wanted to just start neurodiverse sport for other people and and um to almost to get through the doors I had to tell my story and then people were like oh my god that's such a powerful story you should and I was like oh I, I don't want to make it about me but yeah I just faced up to the fact that needed to make it about me for a little bit but um yeah at least it's given me a platform and, and then eventually I can sort of like hopefully shift the focus which is why I'm always telling other athlete stories because sorry that's my cat um because yeah I'm not I'm quite far from a narcissist and I don't necessarily enjoy the spotlight but what I do enjoy is people taking notice of important things so sorry that was a really long-winded answer that's all right that's all right Karen. as you said i mean it's, it's an interesting story to tell anyway so you take as much time as you need um mike what about for you so i mean you've always i suppose considered Kara's a bit of a celebrity one way or another um, but, but now now you see her on t tv in, in a different context um but you're used to that aren't you um yeah i suppose so kind of you can tell the truth no like <laughs> And like I never saw you never kind of look at the news as things and think like things you shouldn't like have 
something on there or anything. So it's um, yeah, and I, I, I'm, it doesn't mean I'm not kind of really proud or anything every every time she does something like that because I know it's it is a big deal and it she's always going to be kind of hypercritical of herself and how things come across. Um, but no, it's um, it doesn't feel any different as such. And like she said, it's it's her story, but I think kind of she's obviously lived her story in real time when it's like when she sits down and tells it to someone straight up in 20 minutes or so it's kind of like oh my god that's quite shocking I, I remember kind of overhearing a call yesterday when she sat next to me she was telling someone and it was they were like really taken aback mm -hmm. so it kind of it, it very much makes sense um the track the interest mm -hmm. is getting that was one of the times as well that I actually remembered some new bits as well <laughs> I was like talking to them and I was like oh wait and um I'm sorry <laughs> that this is totally out of out of order in terms of like uh, chronological story, yeah. order but you might like to hear because because they were um, coming from the um, women in sport perspective mm -hmm. um, and I was like because it was just a slightly different perspective than usual I was like oh and I've, I've got some other really bad stories <laughs> let me tell you those and so that was like a new I don't think I'll ever run out of really terrible stories it's so bad yeah. oh god but um yeah that's what you get for being like probably furthest from the mold that people want you to be but at the same time determined <laughs> to like to do the thing that you want to do you end up getting stuck in a place where you're almost um is this a joke could you hear that yeah 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 <laughs> like honestly whenever i get on, <laughs> whenever i get on a call it's like cat in the room up on the side munching on biscuits the dog decides to bark uh, she goes again Mikey will go sort it um but yeah um I forgot what I was going to say now so no that's okay that's right the, the, <laughs> the, 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 the dog stole your thunder a little bit he there, really but, uh... did steal my thunder it's like don't make this all about you <laughs> she's honestly yeah. like my therapy dog like I didn't I never got a dog while I was rowing because um, I felt bad that you don't spend you don't get to spend enough time with them. And I always felt bad when I saw other athletes with their dogs in the boot of their car and for half the day. And I was like, oh, that doesn't seem very nice for mm. the dog. But like now having a dog, I mean, I do treat her like a teddy bear and some people would disagree with that, but it is great. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine you have two very well looked after um, and loved pets. So um yeah, um, but br bringing it back to then you a little bit and what what you're doing. So actually, it, it struck me a little bit, and also to bring in your your blog at the same time because might as well no point leaving it uh, sort of waiting in the sidelines. Um, so you've since opening up this uh, platform, you've had a huge response from uh, other people with neurodiversity in different areas of sport. Um, it'll be interesting to know whether or not you were you kind of knew these people beforehand or if they just reached out to you on just as a sort of side question. But um, you mentioned you tell vulnerable stories of, of your own experiences. Yeah. But I think anybody who sees you or listens to you would find it hard to believe how much you've suffered because you have such a strong character and, and a strong personality do, do you find that some people look at you in disbelief and say no how how could you talk about that so easily 
um when yeah. clearly it wasn't easy though was it no it wasn't easy at all like if you had known me then you I think if you spoke to some of the people that I used to train with and row with and you talk to them about what I'm doing now they would probably think I, I would imagine that deep down they'd almost be a bit disbelieving like that uh disbelieving that what I'm doing now is all me because they saw me at my most vulnerable and incapable almost like I was I felt disabled by my environment um and I do remember actually when I got my autism diagnosis and I got that little bit of help someone saw me as a person um got a bit of therapy came off the medication communication plan that was all going on behind the scenes the athletes around me didn't know that and what they saw was an athlete who was really struggling who was suddenly like thriving and I think they were a bit disbelieving they didn't know what had happened um I got drugs tested three times <laughs> because I think some of the coaches maybe were like well this turnaround in performance is is a bit um well how 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 has this happened um and I did get comments like accidental comments like oh save it up Sally like I was saving it up till the last year of the Olympiad uh -huh. uh, and I was like no and I also got called I got um I got brought up as an example of a of, of what an athlete the mindset an athlete should have it was meant as a compliment but it it was again quite traumatizing like in the middle of the gym everyone will remember this because everyone laughed kind of um, in the middle of the gym in front of everyone the coach was like the head coach was like Cara is um, a really great example of someone who so I don't want to make it obvious by doing example uh, doing an accent who this was but it, it was there was a language barrier as well so it was quite clumsily said but it was like she used to be a loser and now look at her <laughs> so it was like a backhanded compliment but um but yeah, like I, I guess this is to, I'm saying this because um, I don't think people quite understand unless they have been in environments that are, um, are really, really like, uh, what would you say, hostile mm -hmm. um, and, you know, really trying to change fundamentally who they are and they, and, and where they've had that done to them over a long period of time they'll never know how much that can ebb away a person and I, I did go into that building the most confident brazen person a bit like I am at times now um and it and then you know part way through my time there I was there were times when I couldn't walking out of the house was like my goal for a day sometimes like um and yeah, I don't think if you haven't experienced that, it's really, really hard to understand that one person can be so capable in some situations, but then so incapable. But I think of it a bit like. And this is not to um, this is not to like compare. I This is like I don't think you can compare any situations, but it's to give an example of how even the, the strongest person can be ground down. But, you know, you think about like um, certain torture methods, but I'm talking about, you know, when people are kept in rooms and they're cupped up all night and 
um, with the lights flashing and the noise going. And that can turn even like the strongest marine or I don't know what yeah. into like, um, you know, a, a quivering wreck and rightly so. But I guess that's just an example of how, you know, extreme environments, the extremity is different for each person, but extreme environments can really, really change a person. And um, as much as that is uh, unbelievable to hear, difficult to hear, it's actually quite uh, inspiring, hope giving, because imagine those people who are really, really suffering. Like, I truly believe that there is an environment for everybody in which they wouldn't suffer. Um, so actually, for those people that feel really hopeless, well, that's inspiring. Whereas I, I, I always used to look at um, athletes who seem to have it really, who seem to have it really easy and think, oh, this is mad. <laughs> like, what? You're not like that's not really inspirational it's not inspirational to me to like to the sort of like be lauded as a oh this person's amazing they you know they're good at this good at this good at this good at this I'm like well what does that do to the audience who are watching like what does that give them like nothing just a feeling of inadequacy but that's just my opinion mm. yeah and um I mean it reminds me of quite a few of your blog entries of which you've very quickly developed quite a few um, and quite a few interesting stories. And, and I and as you say there, I mean, people with um, serious uh, adversity with regards to the environment. So the environment element comes up um, a couple of times with some of the people that uh, that you talk with. Um, and I've read all of them and they, and or most of them I should say and they're all very very motivational but you've also got one in there where you say to people at the beginning you know be careful this isn't your the typical motivational one um this one really shows you the the other side um you know of this very you know unfortunate um, situation mm. um and where somebody had struggled all the way through and there was no wonderful yeah. Uh, story at the end of it um and i felt that really put the entire blog into perspective because mm. you know as wonderful as the examples were of how people had managed to overcome these uh, adverse environments perhaps the more common result was the other one yeah where people hadn't been able yeah but people don't want to listen like people don't want to listen to that they don't want to engage which is why like the way that i've constructed the narrative has been has been very carefully controlled by me um, for the reason that like you need to draw people in, you need to give them hope and a feeling that things can change. Okay, this is how people are doing it. You could do it like this. Here's sort of like practical examples for coaches. This is how you could be neuroinclusive. But yeah, it was important for me as well to show the darker side and. I don't particularly like to write like that. So it actually was somebody else's, um, George Sims, who's a journalist. It was his writing um, and he gave me permission to put it on there. But I thought it was an important, important, like you said, important um, story to have to, to to put it in perspective. Like I do feel a little bit though, like my story is really overriding 
and a lot of it's pretty depressing <laughs> so like the the athlete blog is almost like I don't know for me it's like what would you say yeah I think the the reality of it is oh sorry it's still um the reality of it is that kind of people aren't people don't really ever want to talk about their struggles in sport mm. as like because it's always a weakness it's always mm. kind of a vulnerability and like that goes for everything if you you know if there's a certain element of your technique or your physiology that's slightly weaker people very rarely speak about it kind of either until their career's over or until they're kind of so dominant that it doesn't really matter mm. so I feel kind of neurodiversity falls into that a little bit um, which is a shame because it's not something that it's not it's not a disadvantage to your it's not kind of something you're giving away to your competitors or anything it's and opening up more and more about it is only going to open doors I feel but the, the reality of kind of getting people to write to tell their story on the blog is it's often people who've been through the journey mm. and not people who are still on the journey as such I mean a lot of these people are still competing athletes but they've kind of come into the light and can look back and be like wow um so yeah and I think going back you asked earlier kind of about where the people come from and stuff and a lot of it is people contacting us um and some of the, I think another story you mentioned is the floodlights one, mm. the netball, which is like a negative connotation sort of story. Um, and but that's an example yeah. of that's that's a negative story. Mm -hmm. the, luckily, the person gave me permission to use it, but said, "Could you not use my full yeah. name?" So it's that just shows. And I've I've also written, I've spoken to, <clears throat> interviewed two people so far. Bearing in mind that my, I don't want to say this, but this sounds really bad, but my time is precious because I'm I'm doing like a lot of jobs myself at the moment. Um, and I've interviewed a couple of people. This is not their fault, but I've interviewed them. I've written, written the interviews up. I've made it into um, a blog post story. It's gotten all the way down the line. OK, I'm going to post it. And then it's like, no, I'm not. I can't. This is too much. This is too raw. And that's happened twice um which is inconvenient for me but it it shows that this is this is such a raw topic for people and like there's no way that I would post it if somebody was uncomfortable with it um I just absolutely wouldn't do that and I always check that people are happy with the stories and you know there might be multiple edits but yeah what Mikey said about like people when they're in it it's so hard to talk about it like mm. I was in it for 10 years and I didn't I didn't really talk about it yeah um, all the energy's going on fighting that struggle sort of yeah. thing as opposed to to kind of telling the story yeah. like you, you you don't want to talk about it when you're still struggling with it or like and you can relate it to, like I say, going back, you know, if there's an element of certain technique or earlier of your physiology, it's understandable. You don't want to kind of openly talk about it because you don't, you don't want to almost be embarrassed in a way by it, but you also don't want to feel like you're giving something away. Mm. But I think there is, you, I think there is a different kind of shame though with, mm. with your oh, diversity. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Like it's not just like technique or something. No, of like course. But... You're, it's really yeah. potluck as to, you know, if you disclose and the people around you 
either aren't understanding or actually hold stigma against it well you're done like Mm -hmm. that's there's nothing you can really do about that um so it's there's a massive danger still and it's slowly changing and that's what why we're doing what we're doing but um yeah I, I, I understand that's probably why the blog looks like it does um it's both purposeful and also inevitable mm. Um, have you had uh, we kind of talked a little bit before about um, like uh, social media and how yeah there are any number of billions of random people out there Um, have you had any sort of negative comments thrown at you um, or just like uh, you know I don't know not necessarily haters or anything but uh, people who just don't believe it or such like that or have you luckily been able to avoid that kind of rubbish no, you know what? You've actually put a worm in my head. So Mikey's going to have to deal with me later, asking him lots of questions about, oh, my God, do you think people don't believe me? Oh, my God, da-da-da, aren't you? You know, that's but That'll be their fault, not yours. Come on, um, you're, you're completely believable. You can't be responsible for other people's <laughs> you know, problems. I haven't... The thing is, on that, is, like, I do really, really struggle, but I don't talk about my struggles on a day-to-day basis. I talk about them in the past. I don't talk about them day to day because I don't want to be written off. Like people aren't ready yet to hear like the fact that on the weekend I had to sleep until one o'clock in the afternoon because I was so just exhausted, like mm. I think sen- sensory wise, um, like I had a headache, like my brain just felt like like there was some kind of electrical storm going on inside. But once I recover from that I'm okay but you know and that I know that came down to coming across too many things that didn't make sense to me um without the time to process them so I know that's my kind of like trigger or um that's where my overwhelm comes is when I see too much that is not that I don't know the answer to it doesn't fit into my framework that I understand um, so, for instance, and I, I said this to you, I was like, I'm going to have to really um, be careful about my social media because I see so many people um, giving so many different opinions and my brain has to make sense of it Also, subconsciously it's like, OK, this fits it or this doesn't fit, that doesn't. And suddenly it's Friday and my brain is on fire because it's working in the background to like to me, that's a bit what autism is, or at least the way I experience it is it's um everything has to be in its place and controlled and and made sense of and that's where my overwhelm comes in is when I get too much that is the opposite of that and it genuinely shuts me down um like I I've got to the point before where I'm like immobile because it feels like my brain is it's it's just been I don't know when you know like a funnel when you pour too much water in at once like that um but that's not to say I'm not capable of of intellect like highly intellectual thought actually if so more so because all those things make sense but it's the stuff that doesn't make sense to me that really overwhelms me but that's all you're getting for now like I I won't tell you about all the other the (laughs) other bits that's that's I feel like that's an acceptable difficulty or difference there's stuff that people 
wouldn't find acceptable and I will talk about that in five years time maybe um <laughs> but um but yeah like I do I do find things really difficult and um I just I'm purposely not talking about that part of things because my I think it's talked basically it's talked about too much people know autism for all the negatives so why would I jump on that train what I want people to do is to understand that there are positives to give people ch a chance and then you know the negatives like well everyone knows them already but they're you know each person has their own um you know unique set of strengths and and things they find difficult and you know you just have to like learn about the individual person but i just think that we the table needs to be turned and it you don't we don't need another person saying this is how this is why you shouldn't um invest in these people i'm saying this is why you should ps got some unique things going on <laughs> i'll tell you i'll tell you about that later but mm. for now give them a chance let them do it in their own way Sure. Um, and that is also going to be the, the sort of main point of discussion that we have uh, today, um, which is based upon a, a post from from LinkedIn. We'll talk about that um, as well later on. Um, and yeah, Mikey, so you do, I, I guess, quite a bit with regards to the, the blog as well. Um, are, are you like uh, cameraman, mic man, editing man? Um, what else? What else do you do with regards like, to with the project? Don't dare overplay what you, <laughs> your involvement. Um, I'm more advisor, probably. Um, I'm my, things, I'm a micro manager as well. You know this. Things get so <laughs> things get run past me, and then I kind of put my opinion in a little bit, um, and then charge an extortionate day. No, it's, um, <laughs> it, um, no, it, um, no. I kind of it is car is thing mainly um it, like they do well it is all created by her but i can't i have some input in some elements you manage so, me yeah i manage the blog and he manages me like yeah. honestly like that's probably the most realistic kind of summer up summary of it it is it but i couldn't <laughs> do it without that though because yeah. i get stuck i'll be I'll, you know i get stuck with my head in the computer for hours i won't eat i won't drink I won't look after myself uh my time management's terrible like if you didn't remind me of meetings I wouldn't go mm -hmm. to them it'd be 9 p.m and when I look up like he you know and even things like I'll be there and I'll go down the rabbit hole of like I don't know what I'm doing I'm trying to make something fit to the very millimeter like be perfect to the very millimeter and maybe I'm there and I haven't realized I'm doing it for about 20 minutes and, you know, it'll be Mikey that comes and says, like, Cara, like, let's take a breath. <laughs> let's mm. let's set back. Um, so, yeah, like, yeah, that's pretty much. That's what, yeah. <laughs> but it's so important. Like, mm. it's just that's just the way I am. I need mm. to work with somebody to compliment me. Um Sorry, that was a question to you, and I literally <laughs> took over. Well, no. Never happens. Well, Never so. happens. <laughs> <laughs> Ask him another question. <laughs> Someone can take over again. 
<laughs> Ask him one that I can't answer. I, I wouldn't know where to start on that. Mikey, how's the accounting going for your uh, for your desk? Oh, definitely. Uh, <laughs> I, was, uh, I mean, there's, yeah. So it's fine, yeah. Yeah, I had a feeling yeah. she couldn't answer that one. That's why yeah. I asked it. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, but, I can uh, tell you about how bad I am. <laughs> um, half marathons, Mikey. Apparently, this is your thing. It's uh, yeah, you volunteered for it this time around, didn't you? Um, well, volunteer would be a stretch. Um, so <laughs> you can volunteer. So uh, I'm so I'm a cyclist and I'm an elite cyclist. So that I like compete week in week out normally, kind of on the bike. Um, and Kara comes up and says, "Oh, by the way, we're doing this." Uh, kind of, it was it wasn't it, you know it wasn't like days before or anything. I knew it was coming up, and it was no no consultation or anything. It's like, by the way, we're doing this, and it's sandwiched between two reasonable sized kind of bike races sort of things. So I've got no real kind of prep time or anything. But like I, I did running as a kid. I did I broke my ankle kind of about five six seven years ago now, and I couldn't run for about uh four or five years until i got um all the kind of metal work removed in about two years ago now um and since then i've done a little bit of running on and off um which i actually enjoyed and it's kind of it's something i want to do a little bit more of but anyway we end up kind of, we we end up doing this half marathon for the Mintrish foundation shikara is a ambassador for and um yeah she, so she's like yeah, we're, we're doing this i'm like okay um <laughs> And I, I didn't, I, I sort of had some expectations of myself. Um, and it is, it's a, it's strange because, you know, I can race short races, you know, hour or so like cycling, I can race long races, seven or eight hours even. And so it kind of, you're given a half marathon, which, you know, you're kind of thinking hour and a half ish or whatever. And you're like, it's not that long, should be absolutely fine. Um, <laughs> And because Car is a VIP, basically, we got to start the front and um, <laughs> yeah, just ended up kind of getting into it, being quite competitive. And I just went off and didn't really try or try not to slow down. So I was quite happy with how it went. Why did you not just big yourself up? What do you want to say? Well, there was 23 and a half thousand people. And Mikey, who is also dyspraxic, so he's like the neurodiverse sport mascot. Um, so started off with good technique, but by the end you've got like limbs flailing everywhere. Um, <laughs> secondhand trainers, um, and he ended up coming 39th. Like what? Respect. He was. What? There was pictures of him next to someone with like their proper like aero running running um, kit, and like everyone's got those fancy carbon trainers. But yeah. like I like it because for me it's like it shows that there's more to being a good athlete. And being, say, like naturally gifted, not that you're not naturally gifted, but mm. you do have your struggles. You've got, you know, your dyspraxia you used to have his giant spoons when he was younger, and giant pencils. And <laughs> um, but like, you know, if you're if you're super strong in one area, if you really focus on what you're good at, it can almost make up for more than make up for the difficulties. Yeah. And so, like, I think your strength is that you're just a bit unhinged. Mm, I think it's probably just physiology. <laughs> I think it's. I think. I, I yeah, but you ran until your foot was flayed. Yeah, but it, it was just. Like honestly, running. the blister, the blister, the blood was through his shoe, 
and the blister was like I don't know four inches long it was most yeah. the skin had peeled <laughs> all the way off <laughs> I would call that unhinged yeah but you don't really realize in the moment I think it was just like using a four inch blister you realize <laughs> come on yeah, it's blood, honestly I mean... blood dripping out of his shoe <laughs> I mean I knew it was sore but okay yeah. people were tracking you all the way down there must have been like a crime committed who's this yeah yeah <laughs> But yeah, so it was, yeah, it was like, it, I think it was just using my physiology to, it was like putting a big engine in a little banger of a car. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, so, so true. My body was like a little bit kind of like, ruined what, by the end of me? it. Um, but it was like, because obviously it's not, I'm not kind of adapted for that kind of thing, but I'm definitely going to do some more. Yeah, it was it was good. I've got another story about it was, my... it was, it was 118 if you're in anyone's <laughs> Oh now he's now he's <laughs> bragging. I got another story about Mikey. And I kept this on the download because it literally just like completely pooed on everything that I was doing with so you know I did the round the island, round the Isle of Wight um cycle and run, it took like ten and a half hours. But the day before that, Mikey had cycled down from our home in Oxfordshire to the Isle of Wight. And then around the Isle of Wight. <laughs> and then the next day he was like supporting us to do half of that. Um, but I was like, Mikey, I'm not letting anyone know that because it just makes what we're doing seem ridiculous. <laughs> but yeah, that's Mikey. Yeah. Yeah, and also my, we've got to say, Mikey. So you're getting into this what you described earlier as gravel racing, um, yeah, which gravel for racing, me yeah. is. Yeah, Hollywood biking. So, um, <laughs> yeah, do you want to tell us a bit about this? Because apparently it's quite, is it new? Is it, or is it, has uh, it always yeah, been Yeah, the, the, the saying the racing element of it's probably really in its second big year. It has been something for a few years before that, but it's kind of in its second sort of international year as such. Um, but yeah, so I'm kind of getting to that. And I say the, the way I'd sort of describe it is sort of, long distance off-road cycling in a way so you can have a real mix of terrains but you you normally have fire fire tracks a bit single track um a bit forest road sort of thing so really kind of can end up in some really incredible places um and yeah so just getting into the season now funnily enough the first gravel race was kind of not really a gravel race because it's sort of not known as a gravel race but it's, it was a beach race so um that was cool though. That was so that was pretty cool. So the start, um, <laughs> so it was a big sort of beach section, and then a sort of more mountain bikey kind of sec section. So it's really good because it's really it's completely mixed up so so much because you you know like riding on the beach was literally like riding on a road almost to some extent, and then you had some bits which were just kind of you wanted to be on a mountain bike really for, but you're kind of on these rigid rigid bikes, only kind of a little bit wider tires than a road bike so who's the famous guy not that one that was that was yeah last one yeah the la last one yeah i did what nico roach yeah yeah so that's like i say kind of um but i like i said to you earlier it's it seems to be a playground for a lot of the old professional cyclists i think a lot of it's down to that sort of physiology side of thing, mm -hmm. things because you just need a big engine as opposed to a sort of kick or a kind of punchy rider because you're always working against that terrain so um yeah you get the like so i race nico roach he's a famous irish cyclist who retired a couple of years ago um 
last weekend was in a 200k race we were riding together for a while kind of I came fourth but I had a puncture sort of quite late on or sort of three quarters away on and that um that kind of finished my chances a bit but yeah you had a puncture and you came fourth yeah <laughs> respect um what just out of curiosity I was going to ask you before and what kind of do you then use a gravel bike for a gravel race and then you started talking about all sorts of different terrains and mountains yeah. and beaches and you know, what, what do you do you don't you don't do like Grand Prix style tire changes for that do you uh you do to some well you kind of you select the best tires generally you've got available for that event so kind of um your different kind of tire manufacturers will have a, a range of widths and um, compound, well not compounds, but kind of treads generally. Um, so you don't change in the middle of the race. No, you don't change in the middle of the race, but you kind of you'll select the general kind of best all round sort of thing for that race. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, which it doesn't vary too much, and most of the tires are made to kind of do the whole thing. But at the end of the day, generally the bikes are rigid, so you know there's no suspension on them. Um, so you kind of you're dealing with that um but i mean back in the 90s the mountain bikes didn't even have suspension so it's no uh, it's no no biggie mm. madness and how many bikes do you have just out of curiosity uh so i've got my i've got my gravel bike and i've got a road bike as well i used to train on um yeah so two and well i've sort of got a turbo bike as well which yeah. i use i swear you have more than that well, three three bikes three bikes um what's the maximum you've had in the past it varies. It varies. Yeah, maybe. I, I, I don't know. Six, <laughs> maybe. But yeah. Taking up all the room. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Hmm. Cool, cool. But and also, you got a couple of bikes, Kara, I imagine. Yeah, I do. I have a gravel as many bike. Bikes as me. No, I don't. I have you a do. gravel bike and a road bike. Yeah. Yeah. You um, have a turbo bike as well. Yeah, and who uses that turbo bike? maybe it's your bike <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i i bought a gravel bike recently because well actually they're way more comfortable but also just because i i feel like the gravel racing scene is just like so cool um it's just really chill like you can no everyone seems really friendly even though even though people are racing each other um I just really like the vibe so I was like oh I'll just get a bike and you know do a bit of that and you know in a few years time if I want to race then I might do that um but yeah then like two or three weeks ago I fell off and got a concussion <laughs> and that was really really horrible so okay. that's that's put me off a bit <laughs> yeah unsurprisingly um yeah. okay all right well you've been through a lot so it seems that the you're only gonna do things which will make you go through even more um and that seems to be the car away isn't it <laughs> yeah. yeah otherwise i get bored like <laughs> i get bored so then i t- then i take things on and then i take on too much and then i fall over and then i get bored and then i take things on and take <laughs> and the circle yeah. continues and the yeah yeah so you've um all right you're as i said before then wh- whenever i sort of click on to linkedin you're there or um somebody's uh, commenting on something that you've written um which is great to see because it, it just it, it kind of points to the fact that you are so dedicated to your your mission um and your goal 
Um, and one of the comments that you made on uh, another person's blog, so Kato Sullivan had written this, I believe, um, and she's uh, uh, named as an executive coach. Now, is this coaching or does she actually coach for GB Rowing or something? Uh, so she's the chair, is it, British Rowing? Uh, deputy chair, I think. Deputy chair of British Rowing. But so she actually, I, I had done in a post originally, I'd put out a post originally um, around the boat race, just talking about diversity and inclusion. Um, because I think there was like a semblance of diversity and inclusion for once. And I was like, okay, like, let's keep going. Um, and she had commented on my post, sort of talking about all of the the great initiatives that British Rowing have. Um, and I kind of sat on it for a bit because uh, I was like, um, I kind of I did agree that there are some great initiatives out there. But I have a real problem or I see a real problem at the moment with the fact that there's this there's only this sort of grassroots up um, kind of strategy. And that's what they had in 2000 ish when I was introduced to rowing. Um, but the issue is, is you encourage people in at the grassroots level, but unless you make changes throughout all the levels, you're actually encouraging people, in, encouraging people into what will eventually be quite a hostile environment for them and could potentially be a really bad experience. Um, and so, yeah, I, I sat on it for a bit and then I, I just referenced her in, in this new post. Um, you know, I, I actually think she's probably a, a good person and it wasn't it wasn't me trying to start a war or anything. It was like, I really respect what you're doing and the volunteers are doing. But it was also me trying to put pressure on people to be like, you can't diversity wash. You can't just say, oh, we're doing it at this level. So it's OK. You have to hold a mirror up to yourself at every level and every place, because come on, rowing is just not inclusive. Like go to Henley Regatta go to the stewards enclosure, go to any of these races, places. And if you are from any sort of working class background, which doesn't sound like I am, because like with my, the, with my, I think maybe it's an autistic thing, you like pick up on that accents around you, but like, you know, I am from a really normal background. Um, you will feel totally out of place. Um, and I think, I just think about how if you if I don't know, I don't know the solution, but if you've got a majority of people in, say, an elite environment, say the National Training Centre, the majority of people are from very, very privileged upbringings. And you might get an odd person here or there come through who's from a diverse background. How are they going to feel like they will ha either have to mould to the people around them to fit in? Or they'll be like the token diverse person or they never fit in and they feel terrible. Um, and so, yeah, I just I it, it felt a bit like oh, I've heard this before. And that's what annoyed me, because I was like, this is exactly what was said in 2000. And it's 2023. So can we stop? Can we stop acting like we've got some kind of new initiative going on because it's not new? Like it's it's diversity washing unless I don't know unless you're going further with it 
if every single year you say oh yeah but we're doing this oh yeah but we're doing this oh yeah but we're doing this and it's like well where's the change through and through where's the actual change like sorry I'm obviously really passionate about this yeah no this is brilliant I mean just to also read from your original um well the original but the post that um you put onto LinkedIn and also obviously Mikey's got a few opinions I'm sure but Project Awesome you said I thought it heralded a cultural revolution within the sport I was proud to be the council estate kid kicking down doors however I quickly realized some doors were cemented shut um yeah, so uh, well spoken or well written, um, and you put across the, the the idea very very clearly there. Um, would you say it's still the case then? Some doors are cemented shut. Like one hundred percent. You just like you just. I don't. It's hard, really hard to put words to it. Um, especially when I speak, I'm so much more comfortable. Even though it sounds like I'm comfortable speaking, I'm I'm not really. I. Uh, I form my thoughts much easier when I'm writing. Um, but and it, for me, it's really hard to put words to all of the patterns and the things that I see. But like talking about, um, I just think about some of my experience, but I remember sitting in the crew room, sitting at the tables and hearing the conversations and hearing the privilege that wasn't understood and that can be on a day on a daily basis that can really grind you down if you've seen like don't get me wrong i was you know i grew up early on in a in a council estate and then we moved up to a council house that wasn't on an estate it was on a scrapyard it was next to a scrapyard <laughs> and then my parents went to university later and um bought their own house so we like moved out of that but i saw things that i will never forget um, and I've seen how people live almost like through like there's nothing they can do about it. They're born into it and they're stuck in that place in that system. I've seen it and I'll never unsee it firsthand. And then to be in a building where there are people who, you know, go to Eton, go to uh, Radley, Pangbourne, um, some a lot of the girls are from all of the sort of private schools and things and and like like athletes do they complain sometimes and talk about what they don't have and this isn't fair and that's not fair and and it would really really get me down I don't know maybe that's my uh, bit of a sort of equality kind of like justice complex but it would really really grind me down and I couldn't it was almost like I was the odd one odd one out and I couldn't talk about it and I, I couldn't be real with anyone and I couldn't bring them back down to earth because I couldn't have real conversations about real problems and, and real life. No one understood what I'd seen or what, you know, or my perspective. I couldn't join in with any of the things socially or culturally they were talking about because I just was on a completely different wavelength like I don't know when you don't when you grow up and you don't have as much as a child I think that's ingrained into you for the rest of your life so I think when your bottom lines are so vastly different than someone else's unless you've got like a group of you in there if you're one of the only ones it's really really hard to bridge that gap and that's just one small example but um 
there's so much that people don't realize is ex exclu exclusive and exclusionary in rowing um like all of the things that you need um all of the things that you need to know um it really helps about like with who you know and where you're from and the kudos and the old boys network and the i'll scratch your back you scratch mine and if you're not in any of those circles like again it's just one layer after another where you feel different and excluded um but yeah that's quite i feel like that's quite a wordy way of of saying it but it's hard to exactly say what i mean unless i give multiple examples i haven't really thought about this enough what would you say yeah right uh ultimately it kind of where the sport kind of originated in this country is out of private schools and stuff and then and so it's always going to be a hangover from that but at the moment it is still dominated by that and no one can choose kind of where they're born into or their upbringing and stuff like that um but it, so it's not those people's fault necessarily but kind of it does need to be open to more and you know why don't we have things like training camps or things for less privileged communities or people like potentially show who could potentially show promise you know they you know they have um what's it called world class start they have like world class start where they'll look at tall people big people and you know who whose parents or whatever have the time and luxury to take them places yeah. but you know why you know why don't we kind of have things just, satellite camps that yeah, go to the people you know these uh, camps or yeah. things like that looking for my, you know yeah. i mean i know they call it diamonds in the rough often for um well class start but even more so kind of in that sense you know people who would never consider the sport and well yeah i was going to say i mean it's uh, you know it's it is obviously individual performances or sports are based very much on sort of individual input and you kind of analyze people even within a team if it's like a football team but you analyze a person's role within a certain team and whether or not there's somebody else within the squad who can perhaps temporarily um, you know, take that place because their form is better and so on. And there is a, a huge individual element behind um, all of these uh, elite sports. But what, what I would say is also community based is in um, when I started playing basketball, for example, I took a group of friends with me um, and they would never have gone to play basketball if I hadn't gone to play basketball. Mm. Um, and, and I think it's the same with, you know, lots of different kinds of groups and communities. People will do things if they have a way in yeah. or if they have a reason to doing it and if you've got a community um, anywhere in the UK um, and nobody is doing that sport from that community there's zero chance of somebody waking up one day and saying you know what I'm going to do rowing mm. it's not going to happen yeah yeah I think um, I think it's a shame often that the mainstream sports are the only real ones there kind of anyone has any interest and there obviously there's a reason they're the mainstream sports and they're the most popular but kind of yeah sorry like it's particularly someone's dyspraxic you know you go to school and you've got your football and your cricket or your netball and hockey or whatever it is and it turns out you're rubbish by all of them um then kind of as an individual where do you go because most people then don't have any other options in sport like offered to them 
and so all these kind of fringe sports need a way in for everyone because there's there's an active lifestyle for everyone out there you know um that walking tennis or mm. any like absolutely yeah. anyone there's there, there's something for everyone but unfortunately kind of there's a very narrow kind of mainstream where people get let down and then when the doors closed on them or kind of you're rubbish at them because everyone's rubbish at something then kind of what then most people are going oh I'm rubbish at sport mm. which is a real shame because because they're not good at football or yeah, netball because and also yeah. like sport's not necessarily about being good at it it's about doing it but kind of and enjoying if, doing it but if you're kind of stuck stuck in goal and letting let 12 goals in the first <laughs> half then you're not really then you're not really going to be enjoying yeah, you're not it, gonna do it but yeah but un- like unfortunately the more niche sports that might be more inclusive in theory are often gate kept uh or exclusive um I was, I was thinking about this from a different perspective so i also do workshops on sustainability um and sustainability issues or very much um uh, are there to address inequality uh, gender inequality um, among other things um and, and one thing i was think about was how people always say oh yeah but i mean it's a part of the process if you can't overcome these barriers then you're not going to succeed and i think to myself well I mean, that's a bullshit argument because you are forcing people um, to have to deliberately jump over a barrier that you have established just because you think it's right. So they have to do double the work just because of these barriers that you've established. When if they didn't have to jump over these fake barriers, they could have focused themselves completely on excelling in whatever area of life that they have chosen to excel in. Um, so I, I think a lot of these um, elements of society that we put on, because oh yeah, when I was younger, we had to do this. No, you didn't have to do that. Yeah. You, that's how you remember it, yeah. but that's not how it was. Um, and and I, I find that is un, unnecessarily uh, represented in far too many areas. I don't, I've never done any kind of anywhere near elite sport, but I've seen other elements of life and I've seen other areas where people have been disadvantaged deliberately. Um, and that's just completely wrong. Yeah, they're all self-imposed barriers, aren't they? And it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. Like, not every country has the same kind of system in any way sort of thing and they're all successful in their own sports in their own way sort of thing mm. so there's no yeah so no I'm thinking about like um positive positive I feel like we've done a lot of com- not complaining but like talking about <laughs> problems but that honestly I th- I've thought of so many solutions and like even like you said like having development camps specifically for people from diverse backgrounds but I also thought about um having like a fleet of single skulls so that's the equipment you need to do trials um so like decent singles because often people from um the sort of like uh the less affluent places less affluent clubs um yeah they don't have very good equipment and the difference between good equipment and and club level like really bad equipment is quite a lot it's like it will really impact your speed um you know, you could be like 20 seconds behind because you've got bad equipment. Um, so already you're, that's the kind of disadvantages I'm talking about. Like you're almost hamstring, hamstrung before you get to the start line. And then it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Prophecy. It's like, oh, these 
people are better but it's like well they're not necessarily they just not come come from the same place um but one thing that you could do is you could have a fleet of single skulls that you 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 fund that through like british rowing funds it or love rowing the charity you get sponsors and you have them and they are kept in a container between times somewhere and then you know all the young hopefuls from diverse backgrounds who want to do trials that year they they get to put their name forward or the coach puts their name forward and they could potentially have one of those single skulls on loan for their trials and like to me I'm like you know I've seen how love rowing works I'm like could definitely get you know you could definitely make that happen there's that's I don't think that that's you know a bad use of resources at all like the cost obviously you would need to talk to um some of the boat manufacturers they might give you some boats for free or you would have to cover the cost of boats you could get some second-hand boats that were still decent and more decent than club boats and you'd have the cost of the container and you know you'd have to have some volunteers like shipping them around the country at different times in the year but that's better than nothing and that's something and that's that could really make a big difference to a lot of people then you would start seeing these people from diverse backgrounds turning up to trials and having a chance um but I'm surely somebody's thought of that before but there's no one no one cares no one really cares enough to make it happen like or it gets, sh- or it gets shot or down it gets shot an down. idea isn't it yeah. yeah but that would be that would be probably those two things creating a development camp for people from diverse backgrounds and then having the equipment there ready to be on loan um, for different people because then you're not just keeping it in one club Um, you know it could be that somebody's from a remote part of Wales and they um, they're not near a club but they have potential ship it out to them and they have it on loan for a few months or a year Um, Hmm. I I think that could make a lot of difference there was like um a few years ago it did used to be that the winner of like the j16 singles at, which is sort of like your under 16 singles at the national schools regatta which is the junior one they used to win a boat basically yeah and who's that, gonna win that though yeah but it, it it did come from that element of kind of it was like it wasn't the top event it was it was to kind of spot developing athletes and kind of give them opportunities and it was from a charitable kind of course but it the, the charity ended up kind of not kind of being able to fund that anymore sort of thing so these I also yeah. I would be interested to know who won it and I mm. I I don't want to say what I was going to say yeah <laughs> i could see from an expression on your face that i, I have my own thoughts I, I would i would highly doubt that somebody from a random club in a, a really old janicek won the j16 yeah. singles to get the free boat yes yeah. i mean there, there, there was one or two but still yeah but even still then that was only only in the men's event you know it kind of wasn't yeah. and you know still it's um yeah times have moved on they do need it does need to be kind of help with funding of those sort of like sorts of things. I don't, I don't think it's particularly Love Rowing's job that like they're more a community-based thing, but you know, someone probably should look at how you equip, equip these kind of equip people who can't afford to be equipped because the reality is they'll say, oh, the equipment doesn't make much difference 
yeah they'll spend oh. thousands and thousands <laughs> on kind of new boats each olympiad so kind of yeah so yeah yeah mm. it definitely the first time that I went I went from a sort of Yanisek boat in my club to an Empacker, I was like what on earth this is crazy it's so so different um but yeah I guess the with the diversity and um um the pathway to elite is making sure that people have a chance to be fast rather than um have to go fast to get a chance that's probably the flip that's that's the big difference um and I think that all along the way up until the very elite level and even a bit in my experience was like um I almost felt like I had to be fast to have a chance to be taken seriously but I couldn't be fast because I had you know well at one point I was taking all of that medication and you know I was in a, re it was a really bad place but in order to be looked at to be treated in the right way I had to go fast and so it was impossible it was an impossible ask whereas actually I think if you really want to be diverse and inclusive you have to look at the people before you ask for the performance because there will be a lot of context that is um potentially inhibiting their performance um and then if you look at the person and you help them um because of their extra adversity or whatever you will get the performance usually um but yeah, if you go performance first, hard line, you know, you're out. If not, you'll only ever get the people from the private schools who know all about rowing, who have all the help in the world, who, you know, they, have, might, they might have had a bit of adversity, but they've probably got a lot of the puzzle pieces in place already. You'll, you'll just keep keep being the same same thing all the time. All right. So um, we hadn't spoken for some time, but that's clearly because you guys have also been extremely busy. So, um, you know, I don't know how long. I mean, we don't necessarily have a, a specific um, you know, sort of program here, but obviously it's good to catch up after a few months and and see what amazing things you've both done. Um, so what have you got kind of lined up for the summer? I guess that's going to be quite busy for you both for different reasons, right? Um. Yeah, no. So like going to start doing some actual education sessions. I've got like some research projects that we're uh, collaborating with uh, certain educational institutions on so all of those things will be like running simultaneously and I'm sure that I'll meet many more athletes and put their stories out and you just never know you never know what will happen I kind of like living my life like that like people seem to think that autistic people don't like change but I do like change I just like to be in control <laughs> and I don't I don't know I don't like surprises maybe yeah yeah probably yeah but um yeah I feel like it's exciting to think to be like oh I don't know where this is gonna like where it's gonna go like how I always just try and bring it back to the fact that when I get sort of overwhelmed and stressed because there's like a lot of things coming at me when I feel like I'm not in control um I always bring it back down to okay what am I trying to do I'm trying to make sport better for the next generation of neurodivergent athletes and when I say that it all becomes like a lot clearer I, I stop feeling like I'm getting pulled from all different directions and I'm like okay right just control that bit and then the rest will the rest will be what it will be yeah and that's really hard to do but I do it <laughs> but yeah I mean you, you what have you got 
just lots of racing mainly mm. for me but yeah so lots of interesting places going to Finland Sweden which you're coming to as well mm. uh, Iceland which I'm not allowed to uh, come to France either. Germany Italy <laughs> so yeah Spain so yeah I'm looking forward to that sounds very full yeah cool are you is it is there a league i mean can people follow you in some kind of a league situation uh, there's the there's the gravel earth series which is kind of some of them then there's the uci kind of world well i don't know what they call them they call it a world series it's not like a series or a league as such everything's like standalone really um but follow my instagram kind of i try and keep an update on what's going on sort of thing but yeah, some, okay, so, yeah some, some cool races all right so send me a link if there is uh, yeah. uh yeah people i'll put it on the in the sort of uh, podcast notes and then people can follow it as well because yeah. he's uh, on a very controversial cycling team you might have to do an episode with just mikey and the collective i'm not, not controversial <laughs> no you're not controversial. <laughs> on a controversial cycling team what do you mean because everyone oh. kicked off the fast power didn't they oh yeah because it's going to long story quickly but kind of because cycling's traditionally funded through teams kind of you know you'll have a team everyone be on the same equipment same same bikes kind of everything you'll work as a team but as kind of cycling's moving into more diverse fields different people doing different races like the gravel stuff Ribble who I cycle through they set up what they call collective so they individually sponsor riders instead of having a team environment so there's they they we ride under the collective name of ribble collective and they we also have some common sponsors but everyone's free to do their own races and do that and have their own individual sponsors and stuff and to some people didn't like this because it was more influency than they felt competitive because obviously there is a because the brands want to sell their products and you're kind of you're not doing it but it I feel it's more towards kind of what mountain biking kind of has a little bit where they have factory teams where it's just people the, the directly sponsored through factories and individuals go out and kind of relate to the brand or kind of partner with the brands that relate to them the most or you know as opposed to kind of a system where you're riding with a jersey with 20 sponsors on it half of them you don't know what they do or mm. anything so i yeah. think it's good i think it's more inclusive and yeah. why not have both why yeah. not have like if you want to be part of a more structured team you can do that and if you want to be part of a collective you can do that and i don't like i don't i wouldn't have a problem with people i would prefer to be on a collective but i wouldn't have problem a problem with people being on a team mm-hmm. so don't i don't quite understand why <clears throat> why people would have a problem with others being on a collective just like let people do people you know what's best for them is that why you're not allowed to go to iceland because you no you i'm not know. allowed to go to iceland because why did you know i wasn't allowed to go to iceland because it's expensive and you need a sponsor come on uh, yeah, but I've got a sponsor, but if he was on a team, though, I wouldn't be going anywhere. With but him. then to kind of the budget only stretches so far. Yeah. So also, cool. can I just say you do have a really teamy environment still. Like, yeah, you you still go to races with like five other teammates, and yeah, they will meet up and stuff. But it's just like having that tiny bit of like autonomy, autonomy that 
I really re like really appreciate it and I think you do mm -hmm. too as well. Yeah, that's no, good. It's very good. Kara and Mikey, it's such a pleasure always catching up with you guys. Um, and so I was so happy when Kara suggested that it was time for another podcast. Um, for me, it's always time for another podcast. I love talking to you guys so much. So whenever you want, um, feel free to get in touch. In the meantime, uh, I congratulate you both on what you've been doing, uh, what you've already achieved um, and um, yeah, for what you're about to achieve as well. I'm sure you can do something crazy between now and the next time we talk. So um, thanks again for your time and I wish you both all the best. Thank, thank, you. thank you. Thanks. And, Cheers. Uh, well, and a mic.